Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 4, Forget Me Not. So first of all, congratulations on your new president-elect. <laughs> Yay! Everybody raise a glass. Uh, I'm, I'm like, Biden doesn't set my world on fire, but he's not going to set the world on fire either. So Pretty much. Yeah. I think that's where we all are. And there was celebration in the streets. <laughs> yes, which maybe in a pandemic is a bad mood, but you guys have earned it for sure. <laughs> the pandemic is... is very that's all bad news which i'm sure we'll get right back to now that the election news is is fast although who knows what's going to happen with uh 45 over the next few months either so everybody buckle in yeah yeah it's a long time until 21 january but i think i think 24 hours to celebrate is allowed you yeah you really deserve it uh, I my whole body has been so tense for really mm. you know like years four years for for definitely the past two weeks has been really rough. I completely understand, and I'm just so happy for you all. I think just because Australia is a very apathetic country, the effort to which people in America go to to vote is just extraordinary and admirable to me. Uh, Anyway, this is allegedly a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so after 800-ish years, we return to the planet Trill. And yeah, the Trill were always kind of low-key terrible, and I think they've gotten worse. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, I was going to say nothing's changed, but then I was like, some things have changed for the worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're going backwards, much like Vulcan. Yes, when I say they're terrible, I mean they're terrible like the Vulcans, where no one really notices because they're, they're very quiet about it. But actually, they're really awful people. And uh, I, I enjoyed seeing that that's still the case. I, I mean, I was excited to go to Trill just to, you know, get away from Earth and get away from... Mm. To go somewhere that we know of, but isn't somewhere that we've been recently, I guess. Yeah. Is, you know, yeah. it's the trailer different from Vulcan or Klingon or especially Earth. So. Yes. That was exciting. And it's <laughs> part of me, and this is going to be my problem for the entire series, I guess, now, is sort of sad that so little changes Mm. Although I understand from a writing standpoint why that has to be, but from the standpoint of there was a horrible disaster, yeah, <laughs> and nothing's, you know, Earth is sort of reverted to the early days of Starfleet kind of place and mm. trilled is just trilling right along and so mm -hmm. and even you know like we saw the orions and the andorians and maybe the andorians are but really they were always sort of like the orions of the federation 
and yes you know so it's it's like it just seems like everyone's still playing the same game this is sort of my beef with with far future science fiction as a genre so yeah i do think this is going to be a complaint that we're going to constantly have and we're just going to have to live with it but yeah it's slightly annoying and disappointing right exactly on the other hand at least it's not some kind of future where humans have evolved into specks of light or whatever, because that would be worse. True, true. I don't think I could solve this problem either, because I think you say that it's sort of a, it's baked into the idea of a far future. It either has yeah. to be unrecognizable or it has to be the same. <laughs> like those are really the options. It's very difficult yeah. to come up with that thing in the middle. So I was thinking actually in terms of the trans story, which we'll get to discussing, that Discovery is doing stuff which is incredibly ambitious this season, but it sort of highlights that television is maybe not the best medium for really ambitious storytelling. Like I feel like uh, literary SF would be, is a better place for far future stories and... Mm -hmm could probably convey the Adira Gray story with more nuance, but we'll get to that. I, yeah, I am glad the Trill are there. They're led by Ronnie from Schitt's Creek, which is great. And I hope characters from Schitt's Creek are leading all the planets that we visit. <laughs> I do like, I really like that they, you know, it's only the third episode, fourth episode, I don't know. It's only the second planet that we've been to, but mm. they are... They're already spreading their little Federation love across. <laughs> like, yeah. I like it's very, very Star Trek-y in that they're just going, solving someone's problems, and then they're like, okay, cool. We will think about joining the Federation. <laughs> yes. And, and that's happened twice now. And I, it's, you know, corny and ridiculous, but it's also sort of heartwarming. And again, at the end of this week where, like, this episode came out right in the middle of election terror and yeah it was a very good episode to watch from that backdrop it was a great escape yes so it's corny and silly but it's also very star trek right right and i'm developing some vague theories about like the soft colonialism of it but just as we're taking 24 hours to celebrate i'm going to hold off a few weeks before i really cement those mm -hmm. opinions i want again i said this last week i think that i just i really want them to just focus on what can we do to make now better instead of worrying about the burn or the federation or the fall or anything of that like it's just let yeah. that go that happened now we move forward which I, exactly. I think is also an opinion that again comes out of just where i am at personally and uh like communally I guess mm. um in my particular city in my particular state in my particular country in my particular world going through everything that we've been going through this past year it's I don't even know where I'm going with this like I had a point but I, I lost it sorry it's sort of triage it's important to find out what went wrong and how to and if anyone was responsible and how to fix it. But at the same time, the problem before us right this second is the more immediate issue of what do we do to fix it? Right. 
and and also I think that arguing about how it, we got this way is not like we're not going to be able to move forward if we're just hung up on how it how mm. it happened. It's like it that's that's done. We can, as you say, we can look back when it's history. We can look back yes. and decide what happened. But right now, we just need to address it. So many things in the last few years of politics, I've gone, this seems really important, but I don't have the bandwidth to understand it right now. I'm just going to wait for the books to come out. And uh, I guess I won't be waiting much longer. So, but, well, And that's how, I, that's how I feel about the burn as well. Like, oh, yeah. And I feel... Yeah. but before we move off of trill i just want to say that the flying fish was my favorite thing i was so happy it just made me it was delightful in every way and i just have to put that out there and say i don't know who came up with it i don't know Mm. who drew it and and animated it and like but every single person who was involved with the flying fish has my gratitude (laughs) i think Every time I remember that all the visual effects this season were done at home just makes me appreciate them all the more. Right. So, Adira and Grey. Adira and Grey. I feel like there are a lot of mixed opinions about this. And oddly, it's actually cis people I've seen being more reluctant to like it. Mm. And trans and non-binary fans as far as I've seen have been going wow they have hit on some very unfortunate tropes but we're so excited to have these characters and we're so keen to see where the story goes and then interestingly I noticed like younger Trekkies and younger trans Trekkies are just wholeheartedly into it Mm. because I think they have not been waiting decades to see themselves in media and I I'm so torn because I love this story. It's a ghost story. It feels like this could, it feels like the sort of romance you get in one of Amy Kaufman's YA space opera romances. And yet, I just wish it wasn't the first and so far only trans and non-binary story. Right. So my, I think my kawaya for all of it is just that these types of people exist in humanity now right and so the fact that it's still an allegory is a little like and, and that's my issue but i also i'm waiting to see how it plays out because that's mm. that's that might not be fair it might not be fair if they have like a purpose for it being the trill and right that story like i you know it's just and again, I think I would have appreciated not knowing this was happening until it happened because yeah. there's too much pressure on it now. And I think I would like the story better if I wasn't thinking about that. That's, that's what I mean when I say I wish I could enjoy it without the context of the real world. Uh, there was an interesting interview with Alex Kurtzman and Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander in, I want to say, Variety. And Kurtzman straight up says they chose to tell to use the trill because partially because fans latched onto trill as fan as trans representation mm. and he wanted to honor that. And I completely disagree with his decision, but I think it came from a good place. And I'm sure lots of trans people disagree with me. And you know, 
I, I, I understand where he was coming from in that, but he also said something like, we wanted to tell a story about trans identity and in a universe where all gender identities are accepted, how do you do that except through the metaphor of an alien? And I'm like, that's great, but you've missed a key step in demonstrating that all gender identities are accepted. Right, right. That's the, that's the, Points the, for the trying, missing stare. The other reason that I'm not fully on board with this relationship is that they're 16. Mm. <laughs> and apparently it was the most important, amazing love story of a century that broke the rules for humanity and trill and like mm. it does sound like something out of a YA fantasy novel and I love those but it is a little too much for me as a real person who has a 15 year old daughter the and, and it's like the tropes that work in a YA romance don't necessarily work in Star Trek which is a different kind of romance right so it's, I was, you know, texting with my brother, uh, like, we were just sort of like, this plays like a story that was written for some 30-somethings who were married, <laughs> and <laughs> then they decided they wanted it to be about the youths, <laughs> but mm -hmm. they didn't, like, get any youths to help them <laughs> transform it into that kind of story. Like, there's just, there's something pretty clunky about it, I guess. So I just... I, if I had seen them fall, this is my other issue is if I had seen them fall in love, if I had been invested in them and then it became mm. tragic, I would have already been like, I would believe in the love story, but it, it starts over, you know, it starts ending. And so yeah. it's really difficult for me to catch up to the point where I ca can be invested and fully believe that they are mm. soulmates because I didn't see any of that. And I have, like, I have a lot of tropes that I love. I absolutely love people who met as kids or young, or teens or young adults, and even like had a, a full on romance and then drifted apart for whatever reason and then come back together as adults. Like that's one of mm. my favorite stories. <laughs> and so I, I'm not opposed to them being that true love quote unquote for each other but that it's all Again, happening at day. once it's like within 20 minutes <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a little little too much for me i i'm kind of on a different page i was instantly sold on on their love and i feel like teen love is inherently tragic because this doesn't it, it rarely ever gets a happily ever after because these people are still growing and they need to become adults and usually that involves falling apart in some way and grow and, and, and separating and so the inherent tragedy of Adira and Grey really worked as a metaphor for that and it's so interesting that they kind of can't grow apart because Grey is dead and also living in Adira's head and is part of her identity and that's so fascinating and all the stuff with the cello put me in mind of the 1990 UK film Truly Madly Deeply, in which mm -hmm. Alan Rickman and a terrible moustache play the ghost of Juliet Stevens' lover, who basically haunts her until she gets over him. And 
Grey can't do that because Grey lives in her head. I'm using female pronouns for Adira until the character tells us otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard for Adira to move on. And that's a different kind of tragedy. And I'm fully into this. I love it. It is absolutely fraught with emotion. And I just wish that the fraughtness was not part of the trans romance. Yeah. Maybe it's just too much. Like, I think, you know, when I said that it's all at once, I think that's mm. my main issue, is that it it has this, the weight of being the first mm. non-binary and trans romance in Star Trek, you know, on TV now. Yeah. And also being like the weight of the overarching plot of the burn and the end of the federation and rebuilding all of that like that's sort of also there and because tall the the first uh senatal was a part of that and yeah so like there's a lot going on and i i agree that it's really really interesting there's a lot of different threads that you can pull at it but it feels a little bit like just when Discovery was like, we're going to have Spock and he's going to be going crazy and having dreams. And we're also going to have uh, the Red Angel, which is secretly mm-hmm. Michael's mother, which has time travel and also weird religious stuff going on. And like all of this is happening at once. And it's like, maybe. And also there's a secret baby. And there's a secret baby. And there's like the, the AIs are coming and in taking over like it's like take a few of those things away and focus on something <laughs> so i i'm excited for this i'm excited for the romance to play out and for me to become invested in it but i'm not quite mm. there right now i'm i'm more invested in adira and like protecting her like the the end <laughs> i this is this is the problem is that i'm I'm super into the idea of being haunted by Grey, but I'm like, there's only two ways this can end. Either it's going to be super, super sad where Grey, like, finally is let go, or it's going to be super, super unhealthy where (laughs) Adira has her teenage boyfriend for the rest of her life hanging out in her head. Like, neither of these things are good. No, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that at some point Grey you know, gets a body or a way to manifest outside Adira's head and can continue existing in a way that's not completely dependent on Adira. Because as you say, it's super unhealthy and I'm into that unhealthiness, but I like it. I like the idea of it because I want to see them move beyond it. And and spoilers, but both characters are in season four. So <laughs> who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens. I do, I have to say, I love the character design of Grey. It's so great because it's futuristic-ish, but he also looks like he just stepped out of Pride in 2020. Yes, it's just, it's super good. I just just want to give him a big hug and like, yes. (laughs) Yeah, like he's gorgeous and I love his earrings and the way they sort of, his many earrings sort of echo his spots. (laughs) And, And... it does feel like these characters were conceived with a young queer audience in mind because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And so that that also makes the flaws in the story that much more grating. And 
the Vulture interview also mentioned uh, Ian Alexander saying he was really cautious about where this story opened and he they have actually made changes to how it unfolds hmm. at his and Blue's suggestions. And I'm really glad to hear that. Yes. And I'm glad to hear that they have had consultants from GLAAD in the room uh, talking about trans and non-binary representation. But I also think like maybe some trans, non-binary and non-binary writers would be nice well that's just a <laughs> I know it's taken them four seasons to get an African-American woman in the room I, I will say you know I'm hopeful I'm hopeful for that storyline and it, and I hadn't read that interview so hearing that they had input and also yes. that that his issues were with the beginning it's like oh okay my issues were are with the beginning too so maybe it it grows and it gets better, which, you know, will yeah. move right into my next topic of sorrow. But you, you, can, <laughs> you can have a, a few more comments here first. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just want to say one thing the interview highlighted was that they really are taking care to look after these performers. And it sounds like Blue was much earlier in their transition to a non-binary identity than it seemed when they were cast. And so, yeah, uh, Adira is currently identifying as a as a girl and there's this moment where the the trill say something and Adira responds like yes she is and it, there's this look on Adira's face where it seems like they're going she is that is that me am I talking about myself I'm genuinely <laughs> unsure if that's my identity mm. And so I'm curious to see how that plays out, and I'm really glad that they're caring for the actors and, for example, ensuring that they both have binders available as part of their costumes. Again, I wish that Adira hadn't been introduced as the non-binary character, because I think that story is obviously going to take longer to play out than mm -hmm. we realised. Hence my switching to she-her pronouns for her for now. But, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I really like these characters. I hope the story gets better and is less fraught with uh, harmful tropes. Well stated. Let's talk about Saru. Saru. Okay. So what I wanted to say here that ties in to my previous statement mm -hmm. is you may remember that my reaction to Saru in season one was like mm -hmm. a, a spectrum of meh to he's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Go away, Saru. And in season two, he was sort of like, I'm going to be super prominent in this one episode that's about me, and then I'm going to go fade into the background for a while, and then I'm going to become prominent again, and then I'm going to fade. And so it was sort of like, I don't know, it felt like they weren't quite sure what they were doing, and he was going through a transition both on screen and off screen kind of thing yeah yeah which I which I'm not opposed to but it didn't help me like him more <laughs> no I understand I feel like he's one of the characters who was conceived when Discovery was going to be a one season one season of an anthology show and mm -hmm. they didn't really have a season two arc in mind for him yet but so far in season three I he's like really growing into a fully formed like character and a fully formed character arc of you know Saru becomes captain kind of thing mm. which yeah is great I love seeing that so in in this episode he basically asks 
Siri for help being a captain again. Right. The way he did in like the first, the fourth episode maybe. I don't know. And it made me happy. Like in that episode, I was like, I can't believe this guy is in charge <laughs> because he has to ask the computer for help. And that's, you know, it was like, this is cute, but also ridiculous. He shouldn't be in this position. And Same. This scene, having him do it again, but sort of like have a conversation instead of just taking the information in. And, you know, until the computer like decided to start laughing and become a different thing, it was really just Saru like having a conversation with himself, with the computer as a sounding board. And it was like, this is really good. This is so much growth. And it retroactively makes Saru's whole character arc better because now I understand why that happened earlier. Yes, yes, it 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 was fantastic. And can I? I don't think we were recording when Calypso aired, but I hate Calypso. <laughs> I, I think it's a terrible episode, and it sort of highlights my an original feeling. Uh, it, it's where I conceived the idea that Michael Chabon is not very good at science fiction or women. Uh, <laughs> So I hate Calypso, and I am not happy that the story is tying into it, Mm -hmm. and I really think that the computer can do better, but (laughs) at the same time, I'm curious to see where it goes. Yes. I forgot that that was a part of Calypso. That's how much I think about Calypso ever. I've seen it once, Mm. and I was sort of like, that happened, I'm going to move on with my life now. (laughs) And so when it happened in this episode, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was, I was thinking about last season and I was like, okay, this is what's happening here. But it came across as the computer. And okay. So this is like not true, but what it came across to me as is Saru has been talking to the computer and now the computer has learned how to be a person like there's a there's a movie about this where they they talk to the alexa slash series slash whatever uh long enough that it becomes it has a personality and then they fall in love and I was like, there are so many movies with that premise that that's the reason I hate Calypso because it is such a cliche and it doesn't know it's a cliche. But so that's where I was like, oh, okay. So the computer's becoming a person and it's because of Saru. And so therefore I might ship it. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I got <laughs> because Especially in the same episode as Adira and Grey, I was like... And their ghostly love story. This this is a, another version of that same story. This is Guys and Baltar. This is... <laughs> like, I was like, okay, this, that's where this is going. And obviously that's not where this is going, but I am still going to think about that all the time. <laughs> I respect this decision. And... I have to admit that even though I hate Calypso and where the computer ends up, I'm curious to see how this unfolds just because I like Saru and want Saru to have a friend. And why should that friend not be the computer? Right. And because Saru, because he is captain Mm. and because his only friend who is sort of a peer is Michael. 
and they yeah. have a very fraught relationship, like a very close and wonderful relationship, but an also a fraught one. And yes. so it's sort of, ha- yeah, having Saru have a someone in in his pocket, like on his side is helpful. Helpful. I like it. Yeah. I like where it's going. So that was fun to me. Same. I remember Next Gen had a really awful episode about the computer developing sentience, and so far it hasn't reminded me of that. So well done, everyone. <laughs> I mean, as you said, there are hundreds of these stories, and yeah. they can be good. They can even be brilliant, but it's a lot easier for them to be bad. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a certain level of sexism, like you know how Siri and Alexa and Google have female voices, and it's the female AI who just loves and wants to help the manly man. For the record, I have changed my Siri voice to the British male. Oh. Because, <laughs> well, because it is like Jarvis in Iron Man, but <laughs> Jarvis in Iron Man is a butler, you know, it, the yes. original Jarvis. So it, it's based, he's, you know, Siri is my butler. I like that. Maybe I should change it because I use Australian Siri, like Australian female Siri. Hmm. Anyway, the other thing I was going to say is that Saru Googling for ways to make people happy <laughs> and the ways including cutting down on dairy and colouring books and online shopping. It was very 2020. It was painfully 2020. What online shopping is... Like, what even is that? That doesn't make sense to me at all. What I want to know is, have they, as they visit places, been, like, connecting to the local Wi-Fi and getting the news and updates and all the media that's been put out in the last 900 years? And also, and I, I might have said this when the computer yelled at Tilly for her tacos or something mm. i forget what she was getting but it, it was like no that's a bad calorie yeah yeah <laughs> it's like shut up <laughs> just look computer that's it's a not hard your job. we're going to consume dairy <laughs> i like they i i know that maybe these are things that your doctor would tell you but your doctor, in theory, is supposed to have a relationship with you and realize when they are helpful mm. and when they are not. The computer spitting out, you know, health bullet points. Yeah. Is, it's like, I just want to believe that uh, hundreds of years in the future, we have learned how to treat people as individual people. And yes. not follow the bullet points. I have been spending some of my lockdown time watching A Country Practice, which is an Australian soap that started in 1981. So it's, you know, it's it's old. It's very old. But it has this whole weight loss storyline in its second season. And I feel like in 40 years, Discovery's diet things from the computer will have aged as poorly as that diet storyline has aged today. Exactly. So... Mm. Cute, cute idea, bad execution. <laughs> On the other hand, therapeutic colouring books, solid idea. <laughs> and, you know, movie night and family dinner. Yeah. All of that was great. It was, 
it was really, really fun. So it was, yes. Uh, I- and, and this is a great episode for Saru, but it's also Kolber's, you've said here, best episode ever. Yes, in my opinion. But I have been waiting since <laughs> Wilson Cruz was announced as a character for Kolber to get an episode like this. Where you always love the Doctors. I do. I always love the Doctors and their competency. And like, he put... The main thing is that he talked to so many people. He was yes. someone that Michael, you know, they, like that whole scene was amazing. And him both asking her to do something and sort of like counseling her at the same time and convincing her to be a counselor for Adira. Like it was like, wow, this, this scene is powerful. It was great. And then he, he talks to Saru about the whole crew, but also about Saru. He talks to Kayla. Like, there were just, he was out there being a really good doctor. Yeah, and and also such a nice person. Exactly, and like, their friend. But, and there was like a, you could tell when he was being the doctor and when he was being the friend. Yes, there was no blurring of roles there. I... Love his role as, like, someone who pushes, who recognises that Michael is a responsibility hoarder, but helps her push it in healthy identities. Because Adira needs someone, but also Michael has just lost her little brother. And in Adira, she basically takes one look and activates big sister mode. And so having Adira in her, in her life sort of fills that Spock-shaped hole. Yes. yes. And then... You know, reaching out to Detmar, but also giving her space to come to him in her own time. You know, that's that's really great. I, I love... I love Hugh. <laughs> He's wonderful. He's, he, he, was, he finally became the character I knew he was. <laughs> like, yeah. Was like, yes, that's it. That's right. It, like, he was always there, but it always was about the plot before. Like, he... It was like, mm. and here's Hugh to like have blah 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 happen whereas this one obviously he was like it was a part like people being healed and stuff was a part of the plot but it was like he was driving it as opposed to being driven by it he he had agency right yes and ownership yes yes I, i think it was really cool and Despite this and despite his prominence, we still see Dr. Pollard because I love her. And I'd note that she's wearing a white version of the dress, the same dress that uh, Nan wears. So that's great. Mm -hmm. It's very cute. (laughs) We approve of different uniforms. And I approve of Dr. Pollard. I love her. Definitely approve of Dr. Pollard. So my flatmate's favourite trope in science fiction is the person who has a character living in their head. (laughs) Basically... She is also a very big Baltar fan. And my favourite trope in science fiction is awkward dinner parties in space. <laughs> so it was the perfect episode for you. Well, not quite, because it had no grudge. But aside from that... True. We need needs more grudge, always. You know how I periodically shout into the void, someone draw this? Yes. Grudge and Baby Yoda. I will try. I'm not very good at drawing fluffy cats, but I will try. I'm just really super into it. 
Yeah. So A plus awkward dinner party in space. <laughs> I love, I love that Giorgio was in- included. I love that she started out by making it weird and basically, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what her dish was, but it looked like. Saru had replicated something for everyone and I like to think that he went through the records and worked out what Lorca's favourite was out of the weird Terran recipes that Lorca programmed into the replicators and then made that for her. Perfect. So I don't know who or what she was eating but she seemed pretty happy about it. She did seem pretty happy about it and Mm. she was like I love she's perfect in every way like she was her hair was perfect her expressions the way she sat like the way she did every single thing and everything she said was perfect it was so amazing and it was so like they needed it it would you know it's like without her it still would have been awkward and horrible and ended the same sad yeah yeah but with her it was sort of like you could put some of the awkward and and anger and angst like on her and she wouldn't even care. Mm. So it was sort of like, I don't know. It was, it was just very well done. There's, have you ever watched Pose, the FX show? Which? What? Pose. Pose. No, I have not watched it. I don't, I don't have access to FX. So unless, okay. it, maybe well- it's streaming somewhere now, but. If you can get it, watch it, it's great. But it has a character named Electra Abundance who is basically the queen bee of the trans community in New York. But she is, I want to say, basically Emperor Giorgio in a different hat. And she also attends a number of awkward dinner parties over the two seasons so far. And it is basically the same thing. She comes in, watches the drama, walks out with all the wine and, you know, goals. <laughs> It was amazing. She's so amazing. And I loved when they went around and they were saying, I, 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 I. <laughs> she was and like, she's like, I didn't no. say I, and I'm not saying it now, but I am here. <laughs> yes. It was so good. And it was also, once again, I was like, this is giving me the Seska arc I always wanted. Because yes. she's still here. She's still very much herself and very much like, you people are wrong. But she's also participating (laughs) yes and i really do feel like she is getting to a point where she is going to try to do something evil and realize that that's not her anymore and so this slow burn redemption i'm super duper into it Uh, also i think there may have been some other people at the dinner party i'm not completely sure (laughs) i mean Uh, to be fair kayla had a big here i'll read what i said what i wrote hmm Kayla is angry, Stamets is angry, Tilly is angry, Culver is worried, Oosakun is worried, Saru is frustrated, the rest of the bridge crew are there but don't have personalities yet, Giorgio is a delight. <laughs> that's, that's about it. And I feel like responding to a great loss with anger is a really common, common response. And I like that it takes different different forms for all of the angry characters. Three people angry in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And their anger bouncing off each other and magnifying itself. Mm -hmm. And it could have ended in a really unhealthy place. But they were able to walk away and process some. Yeah, and I I think 
that was the shock that Kayla needed to realise that she actually does need help. Yes. Whereas Tilly is perfect and to to borrow a phrase from Agent Carter, she knows her worth, but she still values Stamets coming and acknowledging it. And I, I enjoyed Stamets in this episode because it felt like he really was reverting to form as the smartest asshole in the room. The Tilly and Stamets stuff, I think, was really good and... I, it was a little there coming back together. It was a little too mm. much for me. It was a little too. I mean, it, again, it was very Star Trek, and so yes. you know, I say that with a lot of love and also a little bit of side eyeing. So, yeah, it's fine. Like I, I'm, I don't really want them to be like arguing for three episodes. That would not be fun in any way, and and probably wouldn't help the story along much or their characters, so I'm fine with it being hand-waved and, and we're going to move on now. But it was also was sort of like, I, we didn't get a scene between Stamets and Culber. I can imagine it, mm. and maybe there, there's probably some fanfic out there already about it, where Culber's like, you know, you're not actually mad at Tilly, you know, so so maybe stop. And, but they, we just sort of skipped over Stamets cooling down at all and just, he was cool. Yeah, yeah, we needed to at least see him pacing the spore drive or something. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, it didn't need to even, it didn't need to be a scene, because again, I can imagine it, but if it was even just like a shot of them sitting at the table or something, and, or, you know, like, or they come to back to the dinner room together and have a meaningful look instead of mm. like just jumping right into the, hey, we're back to fix this scene. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, there was a beat missing. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, we got so much character stuff for everyone that right. I'm willing to lose that moment. Yes. I, I also don't think we necessarily needed Tilly to come and validate Saru, but <laughs> because he's her mentor now, I also appreciated that that's where their relationship is at, that she I, feels comfortable doing so. I liked... I think that it's, again, because Saru is so isolated... It's actually really good for someone to come, someone to realize that he wasn't going to leave, you know? Yeah. And so that, I think that it didn't necessarily have to be Tilly, but also Tilly's probably the only one that really makes sense as, because of that relationship there, that they're, they're growing. Yeah. And since Michael that's... wasn't there. it was. I'm really sad that Michael wasn't there because I think she needed to feel she needs to bond with her crewmates as well and she's missed this opportunity and they should have she should have been there yep i agree but but at the same time you know you try to organize something someone else has plans do you rearrange (laughs) everything for that one individual or do you just trust that you'll see them again sometime oh and the other thing i wanted to mention about the dinner party Mm. And the Trill plot line is it turns out they're the same story. They were telling right. the same story. And that is you can't, like, discussion and communication leads to revelation, leads to healing. Like, you can't skip these, these parts. You can't just find out who Senatal is. <laughs> you have to go mm. through the whole story that, that will be sad and and upsetting but you have to 
you have to do it. Like Michael was, was pushing her like, yes, this is really awful, but the only way we're going to get to the other side is to be exist in that awful. And Michael straight up says, you will never be able to move forward if you don't address this. And that was the same message that we were getting with the, the dinner party and all of the drama. So that was, I like it when the A story and the B story are the same story. <laughs> in yeah, the yeah. I think this is a flawed story well told and I really respect that. Exactly, <laughs> I think it's, it's good. Uh, you had some thoughts about Buster Keaton. I, and I know when we first discussed this, you were not very impressed by the use of his film. Tell me why you've changed your mind. All right. So first I'll tell you why I was opposed. And that was just that it's so old. And yet again, we are pointing to the established canon and the established brilliance mm. to say something about Earth. And it's like, it's... 2020 guys it's 100 years later i mean like why are we why are we still there part of it is guess what it's it's now in the um the the film that was shown sherlock jr is as of this year in the public domain <laughs> so it's like okay i get it i understand using you know public domain stuff and all of that and I understand not wanting to say who in 2020 is a good comedian mm. or even who in, I don't know, 1980. Like, I get it. I get not wanting to, to point to someone who is still around or still in, in the uh, collective consciousness. Yeah. So... I understand all of the reasons. It just like strikes me as annoying that, that we can't move on. And again, it's just because it's so so far in the future, something has to have happened. Like something has to have happened in between now and, yeah. and 20 whatever. But then I started thinking about Buster Keaton. And I was like, okay. Yes. And you know how I, I did this with Rosemary's Baby, right? I was like, okay, why Buster Keaton? Why Sherlock Jr.? So, the, the, Sherlock Jr. is considered like to be a pillar of early and silent film and comedy that, you know, is like film as an art form owes a lot to this film. Okay, so it is mm -hmm. part of the canon. That's like the number one thing. Okay, good. But what it's actually about is a dream sequence. So there's the main character is a projectionist who is studying to be a detective. Okay. No, because, you know, this, none of we this makes sense. We all have a side hustle. None of this makes sense because it's vaudeville. But <laughs> the main character is a projectionist, a movie projectionist, who is studying mm. to be a detective, and he's in love with a girl, who, and there's, like, a love triangle with the bad guy, and no one has any money, so they're, like, trying to woo her, and... The bad guy steals to in order to woo her and pins the crime on Buster Keaton. Mm. And so he's like, I'm gonna solve the the mystery, and then the bad guy like is pulls the it out of his pocket and is like, Here I solve the mystery, it's you. 
And then we go to this dream sequence where he imagines himself as Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> you know, in another mystery where he's going to solve it. And basically he, he solves the outside mystery in the dream sequence and then wakes up and like does it outside as well and gets the girl. Everybody's happy. Yay. And like none of that is important <laughs> to the visuals and like what's happening because really it's just it's it's slapstick it's slapstick so it's 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 everything is sight gags everything is exaggerated emotions you know everything is this big thing but like this is it's about a projectionist detective and i was like all right so saru is both of those things Mm. in in this you know within the story and that, that whole like dinner scene, we were talking about it specifically with Michelle Yeoh, and she is definitely the main person that I'm going to say this about. But I think that a lot of this episode was very visual. Mm. You know, even just my fish that, <laughs> that I love, <laughs> you know, and the fact that the trill people were like, they have to stand in a certain way with this color on that side and that color, <laughs> like... There was a lot of this random stuff and the way that both Michael and Adira have to enter the pool backwards, which is the way Jadzia did. So like, I get it. It's a ritual, but it's also like, it's a very visual. It's not, they don't just get into the pool. They do this thing. And so Buster Keaton, I was like, okay, so they purposely didn't choose like Charlie Chaplin and they didn't choose like they... They could have, right? But they chose yeah. Buster Keaton because Buster Keaton is the the guy who did all of this stuff with just his physicality and hit like like Charlie Chaplin was also a personality, whereas not that Buster Keaton doesn't have personality, but he was embodying the art form. Not even just the role, but embodying the art form. Yeah. Like that's what he's yeah. known for. So I, I looked up, I was found one sentence, I was like trying to find the perfect description and it was the extraordinary physicality of Kean and his perfect timing. And I was like, hmm. Michelle Yo has that. And it's all over this episode. Right, like, like this. That's her she shtick. She was very <laughs> underused in this episode in terms of dialogue, but there are a whole lot of scenes where she's just sitting in the background watching and we can tell from her body language what she is thinking. Right. There's this whole, like, everybody's shipping Linus and Giorgio. Yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> Which is great. But it's also, like, that is entirely in the background. Like, yes, they had that one scene in the previous episode. But they, in, in this episode, they were together, quote unquote, three times, and but never talked. But they were very, like, together, you know? It was like, yeah. this stuff was happening. And... You know, I, I said that the uh, rest of the bridge crew doesn't have a personality, but they were very much there. Like they were, they did have shared looks. They did, the, the camera would linger on them in, you know, every like expression briefly and then move on to the next. So they were like giving them this opportunity to give us something without mm. relying on the story. <laughs> 
And so, it felt much more much more organic and less obtrusive than it did last year. Yes, exactly. They, they, I have to say, like, I don't know if it's the ensemble coming together or the directors. Like, I don't know who's responsible for the the change in like it being it's really feeling like a crew mm. it feels way more like a crew than it did either the first or second season and it's possibly because there's no captain there's just saru like saru is a captain i i'm i mean he's this he's the captain but he's not an outside cat he's not an external yeah, captain. a yeah. captain within the the ensemble i guess yes but so so having like you know I was like and it was again it was my brother you know I was like I love Buster Keaton and I was like okay why did they choose Buster Keaton it wasn't mm. for my brother <laughs> there was a reason and so then I was just like thinking about it and I was like the reason is they're telling the story outside of what we're being told and that is in the Trill storyline that's also true because we they don't like even Adira she doesn't have access to her own memories or the memories of these other lives and yeah. yet they're there you know and and they're even like they're pushing her like they are leading her because she did yes. she got to trill and sort of looked around and was like oh you know i i feel better here what it, i don't remember what the exact line was but it was something like i feel welcome Yes. And it was like that. And this is it, after they shot at her. <laughs> so, so it was just like there was a lot of external storytelling that happened and was necessary because it was like he was a, there was a huge cast. This like there were so many people involved. This. Yeah. Episode. This, this episode was massive. And they all ended up in the in the shuttle bay watching the movie and I was like oh, I like this I like that Saru is the projectionist I like that he's also the detective trying to figure out how to unlock happiness for his crew <laughs> like it was it was like there's a lot of these little things that are that mm. are put in together and then I like that it gave Michelle Yeoh a chance to show off um, in yes. really small ways, like not in I'm beating people up ways, but in small ways. No, no. I think because she is such a force of nature in a in an action scene, it's easy to overlook how talented she is in small things. So that's my long ode to Buster Keaton. <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> uh, I think I think we're done. I think so. I'm, I've got to say everything I wanted to say. Yeah, I I I like this episode. Else. I this episode again, it was absolutely wonderful to watch in the middle of this week. It was a breath of fresh air. Yes. Yes. And I completely recognize all the problems with introducing a trans character who is already dead, but separate from the context in which that exists, I am really so curious to see where all of this goes. I, I I love these characters and I love this universe and I feel like if this turns out to be a mostly episodic jaunt around the the new federation fixing things and making people better, 
What better way to end 2020? Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. And I'll throw in the links to those interviews with Kurtzman, Del Barrio and Alexander there as well. You can follow us on Twitter at at Antimatterpod and on Facebook. Just search for Antimatterpod. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in a week when we'll be discussing next episode of Star Trek Discovery, Die Trying. That, that, that's not promising. That's <laughs> no, not a good not a good sign. A little worries, but you know. We're, I, let's, let's trust. There's not, there's not, no more deaths. It's gonna be okay.